Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 48 of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry, and you're listening to the podcast that helps you build an online store to get more income, time, and mobility freedom out of your life. So once again, welcome to the show. I've got a super cool guest today, Jamie Barrowman from Bowerbags. And so if you watch Transformers and you're a big fan of the series, you'll really like the product he's making now. So it's basically a bag that can transform between a backpack, messenger bag and a bicycle bag. So it's definitely one of the coolest things I've ever seen. So I got to talk to him about how he got the idea, uh, selling the product at live events, uh, face-to-face, going to competitions with this idea, and really just becoming a good salesperson and learning how to interact with people to commit to your story and you know, be empathizing with them on your own product and business. So this is probably the most critical skill set you know, an entrepreneur can learn too. So it's obviously something I'm still getting to grips with myself as you know, one thing I realized that there's so much psychology, human behavior, and it's a whole different skill set that you learn that's really not taught anywhere in school. So I also want to let you guys know about a blog post I made about how I got a product made in China during the month of May. So I document everything on how I got the idea, uh, how I got the designs made, how I did the SEO keyword research, uh, found a supplier, did my due diligence, and even got a sample made. And so you actually see a picture and a live video I made uh, kind of after what I did when I got the sample. So uh, you can check it out, buildmyonlinestore.com. You know, this is basically geared for listeners that are stuck with an idea, maybe you're still researching something to get into, or maybe you just have too many and you haven't gotten anything done in the past few weeks or months. So this is a post you want to check out, so head over to buildmyonlinestore.com. And with that being said, let's get into this week's episode. Man. Well, thanks, Jamie, for coming to the show today. We're going to talk about uh, one of your businesses called the Bauer Bag. So uh, real quick, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Terry. Uh, my name is Jamie Bowerman. Uh, my company is Bauer Bags, and we make innovative carrying solutions for the modern traveler. So so how would you describe the Bauer Bag? Like, I guess I would call it like a transformer between like a messenger bag, duffel bag, and a backpack. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of the easiest way to describe it. It's sort of like the Optimus Prime of uh, backpacks. I started with a three-way configurable. Uh, so it was going from messenger bag, backpack, and then for a bag for your bike. And we've really expanded. Um, and so the new stuff we're coming out with this summer, it actually allows you to configure different pockets and totally design it to your lifestyle. So it's, it's actually, it's sort of hard to describe. So I just try to call it the, it's like the Optimus Prime backpack. Packs. Yeah, so how did you think of this idea? Because I know, you know, everyone has like, you know, a messenger bag should go on your back like this, but when you're riding a bike, it tends to like wobble around and, you know, there's, there's a pro and con of each bag, right? So how did you decide to combine all three of these together? Like a lot of things, I guess it was kind of born out of um, necessity. I started it when I was in college and I was always leaving class and going straight to work. And then I, I would kind of transition back and forth. And when I was in school, you know, having a backpack is great, 
great. So it's a lot of books and other items. And then I would immediately rush to work or have to grab a change of clothes. And I always kind of wish I just had a messenger bag or something different for either, you know, while I was riding my bike or what have you. And so somewhere in kind of all that, um, and I was also at the time looking at ways for people to carry things without the use of a car. And that was, that was sort of the, the birth of the idea sort of happened in there one day, it just sort of hit me. And did you come from, do you come from a design background or? I do come from a design background, um, graphic designer and uh, an industrial designer. I see. So in some ways you kind of knew how to create a product rather than just saying, hey, one day I'm going to start making this bag and then figuring out from there, right? Um, it was funny because, you know, I think, I think when I say that, you know, it sounds like I, I've had all these years of years of experience and I had a lot of experience with design, but really sort of sewing and, you know, I'd created some products before, but it was really actually a whole new area for me. So I hadn't, hadn't really had any experience in it um, before this, before I started. I just really believed in it and um, got a sewing machine and got started. Nice, nice. And so, you know, you got your sewing machine, you're making the first bag. You know, what did the first version look like? Well, it's funny because the first one, I, I mean, it, it looks exactly like someone who's never really sewn anything before in their life sat down uh, and tried to sew a bag, pretty much exactly what it was. And uh, it was just a really simple prototype. Um, I still hang on to it. it. It looks, you know, very Frankenstein. And I just kind of started, I, I sort of knew I was on something when I showed some people at school and uh, folks really interested in it. And then I entered in a competition and, and, you know, even just with that bag is kind of ugly looking as it, as it is, um, you know, it was enough to just get the idea across. Yeah. It reminds me of Iron Man one when he's escapes with the kind of ghetto Iron Man suit and then he keeps it. <laughs> that, that's actually a great analogy. It looks just like that. Very Frankenstein, not very pretty. All right. And so you took, you talked about a competition. Uh, what was that? We have a competition here. Uh, I'm in Savannah, Georgia, and uh, we have a competition here called Fast Pitch, and it's designed for uh, local entrepreneurs. Even uh, sometimes people come down from even as far as Atlanta. So I say local. It's sort of the southeastern part of the state um, to come and pitch their idea in front of investors and just gain interest and uh, help get started. So it's kind of like a startup weekend, like make a business in like a weekend type thing, or is it more like Shark Tank? You kind of like already have something idea and then you go up and you pitch. It's sort of a gentle marriage between the two. I would say, you know, it's it's like Shark Tank because you go up and pitch. Um, people are pretty kind and they let you enter in different categories. You can kind of let people know early on, hey, you know, I'm a student with an idea or hey, I'm you know, I'm an entrepreneur that's just getting started or, hey, you know, I'm, I've been in business for, you know, eight years and we're looking to, to grow. So you, you can kind of taper people's expectations. Um, so I think it's just a great, it was a great experience for me. And I think I've gone um, every year since sometimes as a participant, sometimes as a spectator. And um, it's just a great event to help people kind of get, get started. Uh, you know, whether you're, if you're many years in or if you're just starting out. So. Yeah. And so you mentioned, you know, when you first started out with the kind of like the Iron Man and Frankenstein prototype, you know, friends and family gave you some good feedback. And was this competition your first time outside that circle or? Uh, yeah, that was the first time. I remember thinking it was just going to be like a couple of people. And I showed up and it was, you know, there was like 150 people. There was a really big room and I was 
just terrified. <laughs> and so how did you prepare for your pitch? Um, I just, I practiced, I practiced it um, all the time. I, I figured, you know, I, I actually won um, in the first year that I went in the student category and I never really expected to win, but I figured, well, if I'm going to go out, I just want to know that I gave it my best, you know, whether, you know, whether I win or lose, as long as I do my best, I'm, I'm going to feel okay about it. So I practiced my pitch um, morning, noon, and night. I could recite it backwards to you in my sleep. Nice, nice. And so after you win, uh, you know, do investors come up and talk to you or like, what happens after that? Yeah, they do a couple different things. They sort of, um, they allow you to demo in the morning and then they'll take a break at midday and you can demo again. And a lot of times... You know, what'll happen is, you know, investors will come talk to you in your booth, uh, maybe they'll listen to your pitch, and then, you know, either new investors will come talk to you uh, during the second break, or, you know, people come with more questions. So they really try to make it an opportunity to get, you know, as much one-on-one time with, you know, people that you think, um, with people that, you know, you think you'll have a good partnership or a good pairing, so. Mm-hmm. And did you find someone that was worth kind of partnering with? It's funny, when I started that, I was actually sort of woefully underprepared. I mean, I was in school, I was working for a degree, and I, I love this idea and, and everything about it. I just, it, it, you know, I didn't know how to do big, you know, production runs or anything like that. And so the funding part was always kind of a mystery to me. And that is actually really what led me to Kickstarter was, you know, a lot of people would ask questions, you know, well, how are you going to do this and how are you going to do that? And, it, you know, the reality of it is it's all hypothetical until you, you do it. No answer is necessarily better than the other, but, you know, people sort of have, you know, in their mind, they have, you know, expectations of what, you know, of how it should be. And so really just to kind of prove what I was doing and to kind of answer questions that, you know, I really didn't know the answer to. I just started a Kickstarter campaign, and uh, that was my first introduction into uh, you know really going into production and doing everything there. You know, I, I didn't didn't really know I, all of it before was just hypothetical. So I sort of caught my teeth that way. And so Kickstarter, you have to like update your backers too, so you're kind of held accountable throughout the process. Also, it is actually it was really interesting. I did mine. Um, in 2011 so two years ago and they hadn't been kickstarter was still relatively new even though they'd been up for about a year a lot of people didn't know what it was um some people thought i was panhandling i got fortunate in the sense that uh the new york times had just done a a big article on them and so anytime i was kind of putting out there i would attach that article to sort of help explain you know what it was and what was going on now you know it's Kickstarter is like, you know, part of our vernacular. But to kind of answer the question, what got to be difficult was um, once I, you know, got the money, which is great and got started, it, you know, I thought that was the toughest part was getting the money. It actually turned out to be, you know, getting the production run out there. So I was constantly updating my backers. And it was tough because, you know, starting out, you know, when no one knows you and you're, you know, you're just, you know, kind of the small little startup entity, you know, it, it was hard to to get them to give me space on the production room floor. And I wanted to do it all locally in southeastern Georgia. But, you know, I'd be lying to you guys if I said it was really easy. It wasn't. It was it was tough. And I kept getting bumped a lot. So I had to send a lot of sort of apologetic emails. Fortunately, everyone was really understanding, um, which was great. It just, you know, it was definitely a learning experience for me that way. Yeah, because I understand from some research that, like, if you have too many small backers what happens is you end up doing the whole customer service side which is not bad itself but it could really 
take away time from what you should be doing, right? It's funny because if I research it now and seeing other people who did way, way more successful projects than mine and sort of how they went about it, you know, where they had very strong analytics and used, you know, like virtual assistants to do all these things that, you know, I was doing all myself. So there's, I, I think just because of the sheer volume and sort of quality of the people now that, you know, do Kickstarter projects on the experience they have, they really bring to the table these sort of really um, good tricks and tips to, you know, kind of help you do all that stuff, but, you know, have somebody else really do it for you or have, you know, a virtual assistant or someone there that can kind of handle those things. So you're not just doing customer service, which I definitely was doing a lot of just kind of customer service. So Yeah, I think the, I guess the level of the game keeps stepping up is kind of what we're going at too. That's what I think. So it's, it's funny to me because when I, you know, just they, there's all these, you know, these guys that just write, you know, either very short pieces. Um, there's one called It Will Be Exhilarating. There's another fella, and I can't think of his name at the moment. He did, I want to call it the Sobar Sobi. It was a water filtration system. And he wrote, you know, how to kind of quickly raise about $100,000. And it's, they just sort of go through these points that, you know, make the process infinitely easier. So sort of all the roadblocks that I think, you know, the average person starting out would hit, you can kind of circumvent those with these, with little tricks so i think it's great you know by the time you get to kickstarter are you on like version two or three of the bag or where were you at with the product i have to be honest with you i was i i was in that very early in a cave iron man phase i was still testing different stuff and you know i actually had the first version did the three-way configurable and i wanted to sort of make it special for people and then got into the configurable pockets you know and did all that before we had met the goal. So still, I mean, really it was just tweaking it right up to the very end. I just want people to have the best product possible. Yeah, but I guess that's in the spirit of Kickstarter too, right? Because you're not supposed to really go with the finished product, I guess. Or... Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, what's great about Kickstarter is you access that community of sort of like-minded people who are, you know, comfortable with the idea of it's not, totally either finished or fluid there might be a couple of alterations but they're sort of invested in you know hey i'm gonna i might be a little surprised and that's and that's cool too you know i I get the mentality it's like hey you know here's you know 50 bucks you know i know you're figuring out but just keep me posted and then let me know when it's done kind of yeah which i think is great and one thing um you know, I haven't, I, you know, I'm so grateful to everyone, you know, whether they gave me 500 bucks or five cents who supported the project. And I'm putting up a big Hall of Heroes list because I, I really do sort of commend and honor every individual on there who was sort of brave enough to just say, you know, I'll, I'll give you 50 bucks or 100 bucks was what the, the bag was for on there to to sort of, you know, live your dream and figure it out and, and look forward to seeing it when you're finished. Yeah. And so how many tiers did you have? For the Kickstarter campaign. It was tough because my main tier, you know, I was started with, you know, the bags and they were made in America. So I was really selling everything basically at cost and custom selling everything for a hundred bucks. I mean, it wasn't, I certainly wasn't doing it to make money. I was really just doing it to validate uh, my idea and see if there was an interest in it. For tiers, I actually had to think about it for a while because, you know, there's a lot of data on it now and really in sort of like the 10 to $70 price range. And that was actually something that Charles Adler came and I, I got to meet him at, uh, while I was in school and, and, you know, gave this big lecture on it. And, you know, they had all this data just straight from Kickstarter over there. You know, they said, you know, 10 to $70 tends to be the sweet spot for people. So 
I sort of had to kind of come up with, well, what can I do if people, you know, maybe don't want to buy a bag or want to support it? So I sort of went with, you know, I, I tried to think of some creative stuff, but ultimately it just came down to really pins and buttons and, um, you know, artist prints and some lithography stuff is what I wound up sending out. I think t-shirts are great or just kind of simple things that people um, can get on board with. So I had to sort of water it down for what I was doing. You know, if we go into the math a little bit, I understand Kickstarter takes like 5% and then Amazon payments takes like another 5 right? When I was doing it, it was 4 and 4, so the total was 8. I don't know if it's changed because it's funny from when I started to now, there's a lot of little tweaks that they've made really for just to kind of protect everybody but it used to be four and four so it was eight i don't know if they've moved it to five and five but but i guess the point is that you also have to count your shipping costs into this too like you can't just add more money after yeah that and it's funny that actually wound up being my achilles heel the shipping cost and actually the international shipping costs really honestly what happened was i was just so excited that People I'd never met in other countries were interested in what I was doing that I was kind of like, hey, I didn't really get into the details of the international shipping. And I actually just so excited, you know, which up, um, I had to put out a few dollars from my own pocket. So I would definitely encourage everyone to know their shipping costs. It, it wound up being um, an Achilles heel for me. Yeah, because I guess, you know, say your tiers at 100 bucks, you know, say like 10 goes to Amazon Kickstarter and then your shipping costs, like who knows how much. So your bag really costs has to be somewhere between like, who knows, uh, like 70 bucks or something like that. I'm just throwing out numbers here. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I was getting um, uh, for about, you know, from the factory for 74 bucks and selling all this stuff. So I, I probably, on that Kickstarter campaign, it was a great introduction for me because I learned a ton of stuff and I actually wound up probably... I would say I actually, I mean, I definitely lost money. I was trying to think if I even broke even on that. But I learned so much from that that I carried with me kind of over, you know, just by doing it the hard way, really. So if anyone's listening out there, if you can avoid that, definitely avoid it. It will teach you a lesson that you will carry with you for a lifetime. Yeah, but I guess the other side is that, you know, now you have initial customer base, right? I mean, it's not just about breaking even or you're really about the small loss too. Yeah, and that was the thing with me that I, I think, you know, I think on investors and people that really get into the numbers and the money, I, I always feel like that's hard for them to understand or quantify when I'm just like, you know, I really just want to put my product out there. I didn't really care about the money and, you know, the fact that I lost, you know, a few hundred dollars in shipping, you know, I, I'm fine with. I was just so excited to put it out there and have this customer base and have people talking about it and excited about it. And in the end, the cost for acquiring a customer I mean, either comes from time, money, or energy, right? And so you're just kind of subsidizing it through Kickstarter rather than, say, you manufacture the bags in China, but then you pay for the marketing afterwards, right? It's kind of like the same thing, but in a different way. Yeah, and I had, you know, I'd invented stuff before, and I felt like, you know, one of the hardest things to always gauge with anything that's new is, you know, what do people think about this? And I, you know, I think for me, Kickstarter was just really a way to figure out do I have something that people are interested in? You know, just because, you know, some of my friends think it's cool and, you know, a room full of strangers thought it was cool. Does that mean it's actually viable? I had seen a lot of really good ideas kind of get killed in committee. One decision maker just didn't like it or whatever. And I've seen a lot of really crummy ideas, you know, go out there on the shelf and and even sell decently and so i was always excited that kickstarter kind of helped remove a lot of those barriers so yeah and i think the key thing you get access to is you can ask your backers and people that actually 
pay you know you could say like hey why did you buy and then you get that feedback loop going from there that you know you would some you know at some point you have to get this too right you're just getting in a lot earlier oh yeah versus you know what an investor would think you know it's just hey get your product out there then we'll spend money to get the customer and then we'll get the feedback yeah and i think i mean i think in this day and age it's the way to go too to get all that stuff kind of flipped around get all like you said get all that stuff first and it really has become helpful now when i'm sort of raising more money to have that basis of knowledge to go on and and all the feedback i got from that run was great and we've used it to just improve the bag kind of a whole new direction which was awesome i almost think that it's better to just take a small loss now and get that feedback than to get all your ducks in the line and then you know go into this whole inventory manufacturing and then figure it out and then- i mean wholeheartedly that stuff winds up costing so much money just to get it set up that it's like if you don't have something that isn't going to sell you're really going to take a hit so all right and so let's kind of move away from kickstart a little bit so you know you got you got your first run you know everyone has your bags you know later on are you going to move this to your own store or what are your plans for this afterwards well basically i'm actually it's funny because i'm transitioning into that phase now where i've got it online uh, coming out with new lines of the bag. And I was going to basically set it up where people can buy it direct online. Uh, I was going to go through some online commerce sites. The goal as it stands is to really kind of just break into some retail locations. Bags are sort of a funny thing. The consumers are really kind of broken into people you know, who are happy to buy a bag online. And then this kind of core base that really you know wants to go to a store, pick it up, touch it, feel it, and, and walk out with it from a retail space. So... I'm kind of trying to approach approach it from both sides, really, where, you know, start with the online space, let that space grow, and then see about, you know, accessing some retail locations. Yeah, I see. And so I go to your website now. It routes to the Kickstarter page. And can people still order the bags there? Or how does that work out right now? Go to bowerbags.com. That, that'll be the, the new goodness. That's the, that's the oldness. We'll get you on the newness. Yeah, and so what platform is this site built on, the bowerbags.com? It's just on a WordPress site, which, you know, is great. They're sort of, you know, they're really affordable and user-friendly. So we, we plug that into a WordPress. It, you know, it's funny now. I feel like it's, it, there's there's almost so many options. It, it gets, you almost get paralyzed by, by choice. Well, I guess e-commerce is kind of like web hosting now. You remember like a couple years ago, yeah, like, or you still have like GoDaddy, Bluehost, you know, HostGator, all these guys that are saying, you know, hey, we have a domain hosting for, you know, five bucks, six bucks. And you're seeing this with e-commerce now too they're like 20 bucks to start a store it's insane it, it is crazy too especially when i I've, I've been quoting out for different places and some guys have these really high custom sites and it's like well you know for like 20 bucks a month i can go with these other guys and they're just as set up so yeah and i guess it gets easy to get caught up in the whole you know i need my site to be perfect and you know the whole beauty pageant thing before you launch right and then <laughs> yeah it's actually that's funny because it's actually something that i Jokingly, I used to, I would say, you know, there's the right way, the wrong way, and the Jamie Bowerman way, which is the, which is the wrong hard way, usually. Um, but I focused kind of all my time and energy into th- this new, the new product we're launching with and all the new material we're going to have. And so the site is always this, you know, my best attempt to try to catch up with it. So I, you know, this is sort of our, the closest thing to our, to our best face, but um, I've always just been so concerned for, the way my business runs because the lead time on production is so long, you know, really just get your best product into production is sort of my motto. Get that in production and then go back and deal with all the web stuff. I don't know if that's necessarily a good idea. I know a lot of other people 
who do it the other way where they have this beautiful website, but, you know, their production is either not set up or, you know, they're not really prepared. And I kind of, in my opinion, it's better to have these, these fundamental basics um, in place before you, you go blasting it out to the world, mainly because if you get a big response and those fundamentals aren't there, it just, you know, it's kind of wind up shooting yourself in the foot and is my thought on it. But other, other people go about it very differently that I, I just take that approach. Yeah, I agree. Because one of my friends said, I think it's uh, version one is better than version none. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for sure. For sure so. so I'm at your site now. Uh, I see there's a pre-order button, but you're only taking deposits. So you know, what's the deal with that? Yeah, pre- you know, a pre-order is just a weird thing. I just wanted to take a deposit. And basically, you know, as soon as it's ready, um, I was just waiting for the green light on this final sample here, which should come in about a week or two, and then go from there. I like to be very thorough with my timing, and so if I can't give you an exact date, I'll just take a deposit. I see. I see. And so, is the deposit enough to like kind of fund the whole production at first, or are you still kind of having to put your own money just to get this run going? Well, for this approach, so what I've done is actually I'm just going and raising um, investment capital from outside investors for for this run. And so this is really just for people who want to know, you know, where they can get a bag. You know, they want to join the mailing list or put um, or place an order for themselves. And so I just figured a deposit made sense. Okay. And so you're doing, this is like another version of the bag that's coming out, right? If I'm this right yes it's a new new version of the bag uh it does even more stuff we've got some really cool hardware um on it so that you can sort of attach your pockets uh to your lifestyle there and um the response has been great and i'm really excited to get it out there so nice so if we go back to the iron man see this is like what the mark mark four mark seven or um yeah i don't <laughs> It's somewhere in there. It's somewhere in there. I'm actually, I, you know, in the next, as soon as I get the, the time, I'm going to go in there and just sort of post all the the versions and everything leading up to it so people can see it. I think people get a kick out of it. I, I would guess it's probably somewhere Mach 4, 5, maybe 6 now, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And notice you said Mach like the Razor, not, not the Mark. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but whatever. It's cool. It's cool. All right, and so, are you still making the bags yourself, or you know, have you shifted it somewhere else? Or? Uh, well, I I kind of mix it up. I actually really like to stay in the production process. I probably stay in it more than I should. Um, I mix it up where I do a lot of sample sewing and things, and then I try to um, hand that off to other people mainly so that I can, you know, keep juggling the the twenty other plus, you know, things in the air. Um, so I'll do a lot of samples and things myself and then, uh, you know, either turn it over to a pattern maker or a seamstress and then we'll take it uh, over to the factory and they'll usually do a version and uh, we kind of sign off on it, make sure it looks right and then go into production with that is, is basically the process. Yeah, because when you're making this stuff yourself, it's not scalable, right? In terms of like the business where... Yeah, no, it's definitely not scalable. I could not meet kind of the demand of what, you know, people are looking for by sewing, you know, bags one off myself. I, I had to I had to get some help. And I learned that one from the Kickstarter because I did um, do them all one off myself. And, I, you know, somewhere in like the third month of doing one off bags, I was like, you know, this is just not, 
sort of sustainable or scalable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I guess if you compare, you know, say you put a week's time making bags versus a week's time, you know, spending it on marketing and getting the word out. I mean, obviously, the second part is more scalable, right? Oh, so. absolutely. And, you know, really, you know, unless I was going to set up a shop with, you know, 10, 20, 30 people, I felt like, you know, there were other, I, I like to like the, I like to let the experts be experts. And I felt like there were people with, you know, better set up with, you know, greater production expertise to hand it off to, as opposed to doing that part all myself. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That makes sense. And so since we kind of talked a little bit about marketing, so let's just go into that a little bit. So, you know, what's your main strategies to get kind of customers onto the pre-orders right now? Stuff like what we're doing right now and blogs are really the best way to go. Um, I love word of mouth. I love, I, I feel like it's a little more intimate for some reason. Don't ask me why, but I feel like it, it's just, you know, a little more intimate between the maker and the consumer. And particularly with blogs and situations like this, people usually can post on it, you know, give feedback, kind of contact you. And so for where I'm at, I, I really enjoy um, getting all that, you know, whether it's positive or negative, just to, you know, hear what people are saying and um, go from there. So I'm a big believer in, you know, kind of the grassroots. Yeah, and the thing is, grassroots campaigns, they don't happen overnight, right? It takes time to kind of snowball the word of mouth. And yeah, That's absolutely right. They definitely don't happen overnight. A lot of people gave me kind of a hard time because either things took a lot longer than either, you know, investors or other people were really hoping for. But I think anything worth doing well takes time. And, you know, I, I think a grassroots campaign is important. And I think basically I wanted to start by not really just blasting it out there to everyone, but places where, you know, I could listen to the feedback and get people's responses. So really just blogs and word of mouth is how I, I've been starting out. Mm -hmm. All right. So you touched a little bit about people giving you a hard time, you know, can you just go into a little more detail? Like, what do you mean? They say like, hey, why is it taking so long? Or like, you know, what, what are they saying to you? Production takes a long time. And when you're, you know, have a new product and you're still kind of working out all the bugs. It takes, I think, a little more time than people expect. And maybe maybe it's just the people I deal with. And maybe it's just the world of today. You know, I think everything's pretty fast-paced, and particularly with a product where it's like, if you want something, you get up, you go to the store, you buy it, you come home with it. Well, when it's a new product and there's all, you know, and you're still kind of getting through stuff, it it's never quite as quick as I think everyone would like it to be. So yeah, I mean, yeah, what like a drive-through ATMs in the U.S. Now, I mean, how much more lazy can you get than that? It's it's just I think it's just part of our culture. Quite honestly, is that you know in the world we live in, you know, basically anything you want, you can pick up a phone or go out and get it or you know have it delivered to you. So I, I think it, I think the idea of you know things building and and that sort of the time that that takes. Most folks just aren't acclimated to that. I, I could be wrong, but that was sort of my takeaway from it. Yeah, no, I think you're right. You know, you know, first world problems, basically, right? So, <laughs> yeah. for the consumer. And so, you're talking a little bit about word of mouth. I mean, are you mostly using Facebook for this, or kind of like what other channels are you using? You know, I'm real old school, and actually, I I was just down. This is a great example. They did. Um, a really great event in Jacksonville called One Spark. It was actually the first crowdfunding festival. And I, I do a lot of demos. I do a lot of live demos. I pitch to a lot of people. I will basically talk to anyone and I will tell anyone that's willing to listen, um, you know, about the bag and demo it for them. Um, so I do a lot of real time kind of demoing. It, it was, uh, 
it is the most direct way to get to the consumer. So that, that's actually how I've been at it for a long time. And do you find that offline works better now that online is really just too noisy? I mean, you look at everyone's news feeds, even on your own, there's just all this crap. Like, you know, when a sports team is playing, you know, people are live updating stats and you're just like, like I don't care. I don't want to see you get angry that they lost the game or anything. And then It's kind of, it's a funny thing. I mean, I, I really felt like for where I had been kind of up to now, I just really wanted that person-to-person interaction. I wanted to be there doing it for you in real time, talking with you in real time, seeing seeing your face, um, you know, as I would demo the product or, you know. People are funny and I and I feel like in an online space, it it can create funny environments where sometimes people might say something online that they might not say, you know, directly to you or vice versa. Sometimes people won't say something that they might you know, say to you. So it it sort of creates this, this fourth wall. And I really just wanted to be sort of everything authentically and be there and and see people's reactions. For me, that was, that was the best way, you know, when you put something online, it kind of creates this, it creates this dissonance. I'm like, who talks in hashtags in real life, right? I mean, (laughs) right. No, nobody. I mean, it's great. It's great for marketing, but for everything for, you know, for me, for startup, for all that new stuff, I I wanted, I wanted it direct. Yeah. So you don't just go to McDonald's and say, Hey, you know, I want a Big Mac meal, you know, hashtag supersize. And they're like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but one thing I want to note about the offline is, did you notice that when you're talking to someone, you can get their kind of like nonverbal cues? Because online, you know, if someone doesn't really care about you, they just go somewhere else. They just go to their Facebook, Twitter feed. And whereas offline, when you can see them, you have you can kind of see the reaction too, right? Oh, yeah. And, that, and that's everything. I mean, virtually, I can tell what's going on. With, if they never spoke a word to me, I, I can tell you know, what's happening with them, whether they like it, whether they don't like it, what their concerns might be. I could even probably guess whether or not they like the color because people give up so much non-verbally when you're right there in the moment that, you know, that's really all the feedback you need. I mean, you know, the verbal for me just kind of actually is confirming or denying my takeaway is from, from them. And I would say 95% of the time it's, it's usually right. Occasionally, you know, I'll get someone and I'll be doing something and they'll just completely kind of the stonewall face. I'm thinking, oh, my God, this person really does not like either me or what I'm doing or the combination of the two of them. And then I'll sort of stop and, you know, kind of let them give me their feedback. And they'll just, you know, all of a sudden turn around on a dime and light right up. So that's always nice for what I do because it is a, a tangible thing having that that nonverbal real-time feedback is everything for me. All right. So let's get into that a little bit more then. So what does – someone who has you know who likes your bag you know how do they act versus someone who just doesn't really care people that like it you know they light right up they kind of i say wig out a little bit kind of freak out about it they get very excited you know occasionally i'll get someone that it, it, either it's not their cup of tea and they just really don't care i had one guy tell me he would never buy it because he buys everything from the salvation army and i i sort of thought well i guess you're, you're probably not really gonna be my customer for anything i ever make but you know fair enough and one or several ways from there but um you know, people that like it love it, and I, I think it's just really nice to uh, to get that feedback. Yeah, I see. Right. And so I'm sure you've talked to hundreds of people now. So, you know, who is the typical person that goes up to you and they just love your bag and is kind of like your idea customer? Like, can you just give us a paint a picture of what this person is like? Yeah, ideally, you know, my target demographic was really like 20 to 35, and I was really trying to pick up, you know, students. 
and have it be something that they could sort of grow with into uh, into their professional careers. And I'm actually always surprised by the people either much older or you know significantly younger. Kids kids go crazy for this, which I I sort of thought might be the case and was always sort of hopeful of, but. Um, it's always nice to get out there and kind of validate that. Are these kids like in college or high school? Or? I'm talking like 10 years old. Really? And those are actually my favorite. Yeah, I get a kick out of it when, you know, a 10, 11-year-old kid sees it and they're like, this is awesome. I want to get this. I'm like, dude, I love you. I'm like, take some stickers, take some stuff. I will make sure you get a bag. Uh, have you found that to be interesting that you have to sell the parent again? Or how does that process I think work? it's a funny thing. Sometimes I'll, I'll sell a parent and their kids will be somewhere else and they'll bring them over and want to get their feedback. Or, you know, a lot of times I'll just kind of sell them in, in tandem, so to speak. I, you know, I've never had the experience where a kid has loved it and their parents turn to them and say, you know, I'll never, never purchase that for you ever. It's usually kind of been the sort of a co a co-enjoyment. Actually, it's always been a co-enjoyment. Yeah, I'm guessing the parent has never seen something like this too, right? Yeah, it's it's kind of a new experience for, for, for both of them. And what's great is kids are just so animated. And so, you know, a parent will say, I love it. And the kid will just say, I love it. But in this way where it's just, you know, it, it's just like blew their minds. So I always think that that's always a fun experience. Nice, for nice. Awesome, awesome. And so, you know, kind of moving on to some more long-term stuff. You know, are you going to design some other stuff, you know, once this bag's design kind of matures? Or are you just going to kind of keep making different versions like, you know, Tony Stark? No, I, 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 it's sort of some weird marriage in, in between the two. I'm probably going to go a little bit of the Tony Stark where I'll make many, many different um, versions and different iterations. There's just, it's, you know, the world of bags is sort of so diverse and everyone out there. So you, you kind of try to make as many different offerings for you can for people. So I'm just going to kind of keep at it. I'm just excited to get this, this larger run out there and um, hear, hear more feedback and see, I, I hope that, uh, I hope that if everyone responds to it as well as I hope they will be plenty of room to make, you know, more accessories, better bags and onward and upward. Yeah. Cause you can certainly go, I like, if we just take Tony Stark for that, like, like his Iron Man said, he had like, underwater suits or like you know a space one or like you know different different suits i, mean, I guess you could even go to like you know make one that's for like sports guys right or oh yeah i can't wait to send all the different versions out there i mean i really like that's i, I get out of bed in the morning just fired up to make you know to make some accessories for people so i kind of it's like you know the only way to eat an elephant is kind of one bite at a time. So I just have to. Yeah, because there's so many routes you know, like, you know, like MMA guys who have their gear, different places they need to put it. Or, you know, people in the yoga, they have these masks to carry on, all this other stuff. And pretty much a lot of stuff you can look into. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. I mean, I'm just, you know, like I said, just so excited to get this out there because if everyone responds to it as well as, as expected, then we'll really be able to then really go into all the different kind of offerings we can bring people. So and Have you found there are people out there that are kind of like, taking your idea and copying it or have you not seen anything like that like, like that i won't name names um, but there's you know there's definitely some people out there that um, either copy it or come close to that and you know what do they say imitation is the most sincerest form of flattery so yeah. but i guess in the end i mean you're doing the groundwork offline too and i think that's even though they can just copy it i mean where are they going to get the customers from right i mean that's still another thing they have to execute on too. So. Yeah, I've just always kind of focused on, you know, get a, hey, I'll just get them one at a time. You know, if we go into a little bit of the mindset stuff, like you sound like, you know, you've been set on this idea from day one. I mean, did you ever have times where, you know, you had self-doubt when someone said, you know, some nasty stuff to you or? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, God. And it's not even so much that someone, I mean, sure, you're always going to get someone that's like kind of look more about it. But there's definitely been, I mean, thousands of times where I thought, you know, what, what am I doing? Well, so how do you deal with that then when you ask yourself that? It's a great question. Basically, I look at it like I'm just fascinated by people that are willing to push the boundaries. You know, what I'm doing is pushing the boundaries of what has been done before. And I guess... You know, if I didn't push these boundaries, it's kind of like who will? I, for me, it's just kind of like a call to being. You know, it's just it. It's not that I don't know what else I would do, but it's just so uh, my will to sort of see this exist and have it out there just sort of supersedes. You know, the bad days, and there's plenty of them. I mean, there's definitely days where it's like, gosh, I could have even just you know taken a, a solid paycheck or you know done something not kind of in the spectrum there were certainly plenty of opportunities but have you seen that steve jobs video of the interview with him in like the mid 90s there's like a i think it's called secrets of life i've seen a couple i don't know if i've seen that one okay yeah i'll suddenly see this is like a one minute it's like a one minute one but he's saying how i've said this before but like when you grow up you know you tend to be told the world works this way right like you kind of go to school get a job and then you do this and you do that because that's what everyone tells you to but then when you realize that you can create something in the world and you push something you know, something else comes back and you can change things. Like that's when your whole paradigm shifts and then you can never go back to just doing what you were told. Because it's like you're saying, you know, you put something on Kickstarter, it comes back, you make the bag, you know, feedback comes back and it just keeps building on itself. And it's kind of like a cycle that you can never say no to again. You can just like, I don't know how to explain it, but I think you know what I mean, right? Yeah, totally. He gave an interview once and that's why I'm trying, it was, it was a I'd always felt this way. And so I guess to hear, you know, to have someone say it out there in the world and totally validated, it kind of, it does make a lot of difference where he was like, hey, I, I'm, I wasn't the best, you know, at this, that, or the other thing, you know, I just kind of acknowledged that everything out there had been made by a man. And he had this sort of willingness to just kind of dive in and keep going. And I guess that's, that's what sort of made all the difference for me. You know, in all rights, if you take what I've done so far and then what we're coming out with, if you told me that a few years ago that I was going to do that, I'd, I'd probably laugh at you. Somewhere in there, kind of the willingness cropped up and this belief that, you know, I can do this and, and go forward with this and, and put out something new. And it just sort of superseded everything. Right, and so, you know, if we look back again, you know, what's one thing you wish you knew when you were starting out? <laughs> When someone's offering you investment money, you should just take it. Just take it. You know, I, you know, I, I probably should have done that earlier on. I, I was always a little hesitant because I felt like, well, I probably come out with this better thing or whatever. I, I probably should have just taken the money. It would have made it easier. I would say don't feel like you have to do everything yourself. Once you got something pretty well perfected, you know, finding the right people to be able to then turn it over to is always helpful. I guess just be patient, you know, any, anything worth doing well is probably going to take some time. So let me just dig into a little bit about the investor money thing you brought up. So, uh, you know, can you go a little bit, like, why did you turn it down? Or why was your reasoning back then for turning? Um, I guess back to sort of, I uh, guess kind of a reoccurring theme here, the, the Tony Stark, you know, Mark 1, Mark 2. I, I really felt like, and I guess this has been the way with a lot of products, you know, I knew that I was sort of tinkering with something better. And so I didn't want to kind of get into bed with people until I felt like I had really ironed out all the all the kinks. So I see. And then there's a balance of strike with that too, because A, you know, there is a legit thing to have a good product, but you don't want it to hinder your whole operations that you never launch it to. Yeah, and it's one of those I think 
it'll be interesting to see how I feel about this, you know, a year from now. Whereas, you know, I, I think it was the right thing to do. I could be wrong, but there's definitely were times where I was like, man, you know, I would feel a lot less stressed out if I was doing this on somebody else's dime and not my own. So we'll we'll see. It'll it'll be one of those that'll probably change and evolve over time. Yeah, but, but I, I guess the other option from investor money is to not take it from them, but to just get it from the customer too. Like you just get a full. Pre-order, I guess, is the other option, right? Yeah, I think that's the you know a great way to go. It's it's it is funny because we're playing in this sort of space that never existed before, where you could offer a product before it was you could actually get it, and so it's. It, I, I still think we're going to need some some more time. I think just as a culture and society in general, this kind of look look back on it. But I I will be curious to see if it becomes a fad or actually you know sort of normalized way of doing business it'll be interesting yeah because i knew someone i talked to that they just took a full pre-order but their products were like oh like you know 20 30 bucks so it wasn't as big of a commitment as yours but it was interesting because what they did is they just slapped it on and then they got like like 2,000 pre-orders and then they use that to just buy the whole inventory so that was pretty interesting yeah it's the way they did that's also a great model too I mean there's you know you can come at it so many different ways yeah it's kind of sort of whatever you know whatever cup of tea you want to go with yeah I think there's still a mentality thing where if you pre-order a physical product versus say you know like a movie ticket you buy a ticket first but then you watch it later right or like a magazine subscription or sports events right I mean live concerts they're all kind of you buy first but you get the product later too so totally when you think about it it's funny because there's so many things we actually do in our daily lives where it, it mirrors the same thing i just depending on how long you know your production time is your turnaround time is and and what you have i guess how long people want to wait i mean there's definitely projects you know i've i've given money to where you know i won't see it for a year i mean i forget that i even purchased it you know i just one day it's you know we'll just show up and i'll be happy so and so uh, you know just to wrap the last question up you know where can we find you online if we want to find out more about your bags and yourself uh www.bowerbags.com b o w e r b a g s check us out and uh actually be uploading a lot of new content um in the coming weeks and months so you can catch me um, on Facebook. I, you know, I love good direct contact. Feel free to email me, um, Jamie J A M I E at Bowsworld B O W S W O R L D dot com. Awesome. All right, Jamie. Thanks so much. Uh, I think that's it, and I'll let you go now. Terry, thanks so much. I really appreciate, it, man. Love that photo of you too. Yeah, no, it's pretty awesome, huh? <laughs> yeah, it is pretty awesome. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.